is a great privilege to be speaking today and starting off our summer series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. And today I'm going to be speaking on Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And um, when I was first asked to speak on this statement, I thought this is a fantastic opportunity to get to speak to people about Jesus. So I asked lots of different people from all the various areas of my life about what they thought this verse meant. I spoke to the children in my class. I can do that because I work in a Church of England school, a bit similar to this one. I asked my mum, who's not a believer. Um, She's come a long way. She says she now believes in a God, but she doesn't know who he is. I asked my uh, friend at work, who's a passionate and enthusiastic atheist. Then I asked my friend Aishen, who traditionally is from a Muslim background, although she'd say now that she's not a practicing Muslim herself. And it was really, really interesting to hear their different views and opinions at what this verse meant. Um, the children, as expected, were quite cute. One of them said, oh, Jesus is special, the standard cute little answer. And one of them said, it means he's the only one who can stand before God. And actually, I was like, man, that's actually quite profound. And this, this little kid, she was a, um, she's a Spanish-speaking child, and actually she hasn't been speaking English that long. She doesn't come from a Christian background. But I thought something that we have communicated in our school has actually got through to her heart. And I was just like, man, I am so privileged to be in the job that I'm in. A little plug for teaching there, sorry. <laughs> and because he was and is the only one who can stand before God. He was and is the only one who could legally and righteously stand before him and be in his presence because he was and is God. Then I spoke to my mum. She was just quite blank about it, to be honest. I texted her beforehand and said, Mum, I'm preaching at church and I'm speaking on this verse. What do you think this verse means? Have a think. I'm going to be speaking to you about it later. Then when I got on the phone to her, she was at the airport. She was going to visit my uh, brother and his wife and her only grandchild in New Zealand. So I think she was just really interested in her pursuit of happiness, her pursuit of joy. She was just excited about going on holiday, which was Fair enough, to be, to be fair. Then I spoke to my friend at work, the atheist lady, and she said, well, I guess that all depends if A, you believe Jesus existed, or B, if he was who he says he was. And then she went on to say that she just believed that Jesus was a good moral teacher. And then that was that. Then I spoke to my friend Aishen, and she interestingly said, well, he's the only way to God? Is that what it means? I don't know. But what was really interesting about Aishen is what she said afterwards, the conversations we had afterwards. She went on to say that she believes in a God, but she doesn't necessarily believe in a religion. And she went on to say, as long as you're happy in life, that's all that matters. And actually, that was something that I could kind of I identify with. See, that was certainly my pursuit and my quest before I became a Christian. I was just interested in how I could be happy, how I could find my identity and find where I could fit in society. I was just interested in the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of joy, to put my soul at rest. Although, to be honest, I didn't realise that that's what I was doing. And I think there's something in the heart of every man, every woman, boy and girl, where we feel most alive 
when we're happy. We find ourselves wanting to be happy. And actually, that's in the heart of all of us, this quest for true joy, our quest for peace, our quest to be at ease, to be at rest, to be at home, to be loved, to arrive at pure joy. And I suddenly realised that there's lots and lots of people around you and around me and around and in and around our nation, and they're not really interested in how to get to God. Some of them don't even believe in a God. Some of them don't even believe in a heaven or a hell or even an afterlife. But they do believe in a God, and that is their God, their quest for happiness. Our culture has made happiness an idol. As long as you are happy, you can believe and be and do and say whatever you want. As long as you don't enforce your beliefs on somebody else, you can believe what you want. There are so many truths or so-called truths out there today, so many ways to pursue happiness, to pursue joy. But Jesus claims he is the way, the only way, the only truth. He claims God does exist and he is him and he is the way to him. And I want to argue today that this passage addresses how we can in fact find joy, how we can find love, how we can find rest and how we can find our true contentment, true peace and how we can find our way home, our dwelling place in Christ and Christ alone. So if you have your Bibles with you today, We're going to be turning to John chapter 14, that's John chapter 14, and starting at verse 11, going all the way through, oh sorry, verse 1, and going all the way through to verse 11, so that's where we're going to be camping out today, and the key verse where we'll be looking at the will, sorry, and the key verse we'll be looking at will of course be John 14 verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So before we look at these verses, let's look at the context, what's going on here. Well, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He knows at this point what's going to happen. So he's trying to cram in every little last bit that he can to be able to communicate to his disciples who he is. He knows at this point that Judas is about to betray him. He knows that he's going to be brutalized and he knows he's going to be tortured. And yet here he says, Well, let's look. Let's see what he says. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let's just stop there a second. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to be going this slow throughout. But it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus knows this life isn't easy. He knows that this life is hard, that it's full of pain, it can be full of suffering, and there's lots of different anxieties. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But what is so fascinating, and I don't think I could be like this, but Jesus is, he knows he's about to go to the cross He knows he's going to be brutalized. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows, yet he's concerned about the disciples' hearts. And this came through in our worship. He's still concerned about human hearts today. To not be troubled. To be at rest. To find joy. And the scripture goes on to say, In my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He goes to prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And I just love Thomas's honest response here. Thomas replies to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus, you're speaking in riddles and quizzes and stuff. How can we know where you are going? Jesus replies to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now Philip pipes in, and I just love this bit as well. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Philip is saying, if we just get a glimpse of God, if we could just see him, then that's going to be enough for our weary souls. We'll finally find joy, that it would be enough for us. And so patiently, Jesus replies to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but by the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves, the miracles the signs, the wonders. Here, God is saying, Jesus is saying, Philip, you have seen God. You've seen me. I am right here and I am enough. I am enough for you. See, there's so much in this piece of passage that we could explore and navigate our way through today. But we're just going to be focusing on the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that's my outline. It's not very creative. We're going to be working our way through those three main points, the way, the truth, and the life. But throughout all of them, I'm going to be channeling the message and arguing the point that Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our everything. Jesus is enough, our way home, our rest, our intimate dwelling place, and that he fulfills the quest for joy. So point number one, Jesus is the way. So what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the way? He says that he is the way to God. He is the way to the Father. See, us human beings, we couldn't make it there on our own. We couldn't do it. We could try. We could try with our good works and our positive attitudes and our behavior modification but we just couldn't reach that perfect standard. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't do it. And the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can live up to that perfect standard. All human beings have done wrong. We can't uphold the righteousness by ourselves. But Jesus did. We know that Jesus was and is perfect, was blameless, was without sin. And the Roman scripture goes on to say, and we are justified by 
his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. On the cross, when Jesus was preparing a way for us, a great exchange happened. He paid the cost. Our sinful life, our God-hating souls, our corrupt souls, our bent inclinations for his perfect and blameless soul, his pure soul, his wonderful and righteous deeds, his perfect heart and his intimate relationship with God, a great exchange took place. That's why and when the Father looks on us, he sees not our wrongdoings of filthy rags, but sees Jesus's perfect life. And the propitiation was Jesus absorbing the wrath of God towards our sin. He was absorbing the wrath of God so we could freely come into an intimate relationship with him. And when it talks him, talks about him preparing a way for us in John 14, 14, it's not talking about him fluffing up the pillows in our glintery mansion in the sky. It's talking about him having sharp nails piercing his hands and his feet and having his body tortured and brutalized and killed for us. He became the lamb of God for us so we could come to God. That was him preparing a way. So when Jesus says he is the way, he means I stepped down into your darkness, became your sin, became our curse, so we could come to God, we could come to the Father, we could delight and make much of him. He is the way. Today's culture spreads the message that there are many ways to God, many pathways and side alleys, there are many ways to heaven. But Jesus is saying, I am the way, the only way. And the exclusive nature of the only path to salvation is expressed in the words, I am the way. Jesus is the truth. What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the truth? Jesus equated himself with the law of God as the authoritative standard of righteousness. That's why Jesus could tell us how to live. He could preach the law. In fact, the scriptures say that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus, as the incarnate word of God, is the source of all truth. In John 1, it says, Jesus was the word of God. Jesus is God. He is the truth. He is God himself. So he's not just the way to God, but he is the truth, which means he is God. He is who he says he is. It's great news. He is who he says he is. Jesus is God himself. Jesus couldn't have provided a way if he was not God, if he wasn't the truth, if he wasn't the righteousness of God, he couldn't have provided a way. And some people say, like my friend Kay at work, that he was just a good moral teacher. He was just one way pointing to God. And I want to argue this morning that he can't just be a moral teacher. And C.S. Lewis, he can argue it better than anybody. And he says in Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, 
but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up a fool, you can spit at him and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither lunatic nor fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way to God because he is the truth of God. He embodies the supreme revelation of God. He shows us who God is. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the truth. He is God. We arrive now at our final and third point. Jesus is the life. Do you mind if I just take a quick drink? In John 3, verse 36, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So is Jesus here in John 14 talking about eternal life? Is he talking here about life beyond the grave? Does God give us the gift of eternal life through the cost of his son? Yes, 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 he does. But what is at the heart and the essence of eternal life? John Piper, who's an American theologian, says, the essence of eternal life is the never-ending knowing of God the Father and God the Son. For God so loved the world that at the cost of his son's life, he brought us into an everlasting, knowing, admiring, loving, and enjoying of himself and Jesus. The love of God is the gift of himself. You don't just get eternal life when you die. You get it when you put your trust in Jesus. True life is living the life that your soul was always designed to do, to live in perfect, intimate relationship with him, to find your delight in him, to find your dwelling place with him. Our world says there are many ways to find our soul's rest. The world and the culture around us says you can believe what you like as long as it makes you happy. As long as you don't enforce your beliefs on any other people, you can believe and be and do and say what you like. Our culture has made happiness an idols. The world says if you just have that right relationship, that intimate relationship with that one perfect person, if you just have enough money or even just a little bit more money, or you get that perfect job, that perfect house, when you finally get that child or when you get married or when you get this and you do that or you finally get so-and-so, then you will arrive at happiness. But they're always short-lived. They never fully satisfy. 
And another quote from C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis is saying here, if money and material wealth and intimate relationships with other human beings and success doesn't provide our ways, our hearts with a home, with lasting delight, with peace, with rest, with joy, then maybe, then maybe we're designed for something greater, something more glorious, something more wonderful than those things. Maybe our souls are designed for God and God himself. And that is what Jesus is saying here in John 14. When Jesus says, I am the life. He means I am the life in which you get to delight yourself in me for all eternity. Jesus is saying that he's given us the life in us through the Holy Spirit, a guarantee of our inheritance to come. It's with his spirit that we get to cry, Abba, Father, and we get to live life to the full, which is making much of him day in, day out through all eternity. So to summarize, Jesus starts this scripture with, don't let your hearts be troubled. Find rest, find joy, because he is the way. He gave up his life so we could get to God. He prepared a way in order to bring us to himself. He prepared a way, not by dressing a room with throws and cushions, but by submitting himself to a torturous death, to be slaughtered, to be the redemption, to be the Lamb of God, to experience death and death on a cross. Through his stripes we are healed, through his stripes we are reconciled, through his death and resurrection we are forgiven, cleansed and raised to new life. Through his death we are imputed with his righteousness because he is the truth, he is God, he is the image of God. It, God himself built the bridge. He loved us so much that he came down, stepped into our darkness, stepped into our mess, became God incarnate to become our sin in order to provide the propitiations of those sins so that we could be reconciled to him, to live with him, to make much of him, to delight in him because he is the life and we get to find our soul's joy in him, a joy that never fades, a joy that no pain nor suffering can never rob nor destroy, a joy that smashes through the grave and bursts into eternity with technicolor life that 10,000 years from now now, there is no more glorious nor wonderful than any other treasure that exponentially magnifies throughout all eternity. He is the pearl of great price. He is the life. He is the gospel, our greatest treasure, our soul's rest, our joy, our everything. He doesn't promise life will be easy, but he gives us himself to enjoy. And this is the gospel. He is the life. He is our eternal hope. He is our life the reason why we sing, the reason why we preach his life, death and resurrection, because he is our home, our dwelling place. See, Jesus is not just the way, but the truth and the life, a beautiful reflection of three in one. He is the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him.